Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskin. School is back in session. Most all schools across the region have kicked off for the year. Things are also buzzing here on the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The fall semester is set to get underway this coming Monday. I know it can be a busy time of year, so I do want to thank you for joining us here on today's program. We'll begin today's broadcast by heading out and into the field. We're checking in now on crops in southwest Nebraska near the tiny village of Wilsonville. With more, here's my colleague from the Rural Radio Network, Clay Patton. Find ourselves back once again in south central Nebraska near the town of Wilsonville on SR Farms, Alfalfa Company and Husker Hay Haulers. Steve Rice is joining us once again and Steve, 2023 is just the year that won't relent it seems like. Uh, I go back to our last episode, we had just had a major hailstorm that basically mowed everything off. But to catch viewers up, that wasn't the end of it as you were trying to build back from that initial hailstorm, another one came in. So kind of tell us where we're at right now in the hay growing season. Well, we're all over the place as far as that goes. Uh, Unfortunately, we had that hailstorm with the big stones in it uh, mid-June, and then we got a nice regrowth coming back. It was actually making a recovery, and then Mother Nature dealt us another blow and mowed it off again. We lost about 350 acres for the second time in the valley here, and then the pigweeds start coming back and the regrowth because it's getting into you know early August when it's coming back. So we lost weed control, um, and we put up a lot of round bales this year, probably more round bales this year than we have in the last 10 years combined because of weather conditions. So um, like I say, we're finishing up on some second cutting that was hailed and we'll be baling some third cutting in the next day or two. So our, our crops all over the, all over the place as far as uh, um, maturity. And to give people an idea, obviously there isn't quite an average year in farming, but over a long enough lifespan, there, there seems to be some ones that come out. Typically, where would we be here by mid-August had you not faced some of these challenges with the storms? Well, um, and not only the storms, but also lack of moisture. That, it's, yeah. it's kind of twofold because we're, we're seeing areas of our farming practice that has multiple like 14 days worth of moisture in a month but only getting an inch and a half of rain out of all of that moisture so all it's doing is messing up hay and it's not really helping the dry land um, so we're way down as far as tons terribly down as far as quality um, and it's dry it's going to get hot here this in into this week we're going to make some nice quality hay i hope but uh, it's not going to be a lot of it there's not a lot of high quality forage in southwest Nebraska. Where does that put us if we were already on tight hay supplies? Is this kind of not only affecting southwest Nebraska, but will it have ripple effects to a broader industry? Oh, sure. Um, you know, Texas is calling. Oklahoma's calling. Um, even East Texas is calling for, for stock cow hay. And, you know, our, our, our dairy quality hay is way down. Um, quite a few tons worth of low quality hay in Kansas and Nebraska and maybe even Colorado. Um, so the lower quality hay, there's probably gonna be an abundance of that. 
but as far as you know number one dairy hay or horse hay in this area of the country it's going to be in real short demand or supply at again is steve rice sr farms alfalfa company husker hay haulers here in wilsonville nebraska good update there clay do appreciate that hopefully he can catch a break when it comes to weather from the field to a field day now as Nebraska Extension recently held its Soybean Gallmage Regional Field Day near Mead. The event was put on by a multi-state team of Extension entomologists and emphasized interactive learning about this pest through field demonstrations. Market Journal's Mike Straub has more on the lessons and presentations. Mike? Soybean Gallmage has been affecting crops in Nebraska and surrounding states. Recently, Nebraska Extension held a field day in hopes to help pass along important information. Broadly speaking, we're covering a lot of different topics today. Uh, one of the tents actually we're nearby is uh, germplasm, uh, planting dates, insecticides, the seed treatments. Uh, those are some of the core things that growers are really looking for in the case of germplasm. In the case of uh, planting dates, kind of a sore subject. Every grower wants to get his crop in early. We've got biological control and hailing as two other uh, new tactic uh, in terms of hailing and maybe hard to adopt uh, and then biocontrol not really found in nebraska yet but you know hopeful on that and then our other tent is kind of a wild card tent with 16 different topics on soybean gallmage so we're trying to cover breadth and then a bit of depth on a few key topics we have a lot of other states that are looking for soybean gallmage want to know if it's around and then we have growers in our state and adjacent states are having a lot of problem so an event like this is a good chance for us to all get in the field see gallmage firsthand look at management tactics that are under pressure uh, and talk about some of the challenges they're facing, the observations they have, and then also what they might want to take away from this for their own farm in terms of what they're dealing with and how they might want to manage it uh, at that site. Some counties that have not had problems with soybean gallmage in the past are starting to see the effects. This is a growing issue that does not seem to be going away anytime soon. The field behind me is evidence of that. Uh, we're, we're looking at 70 to 80% dead plants behind me. I think on an angle probably that this camera is looking at looks maybe better and as you walk out in the field there's a lot more dead plants uh, as you kind of get that over the top view. Uh, so yeah, it's still a growing problem. We started our surveys just uh, earlier this week. Uh, Southern Lancaster County that's typically been fairly quiet has a lot of pressure this year. So the pressure shifts uh, but it's, it's certainly there and abundant. I know Iowa is facing a lot of challenges this year. Um, and so gallmage is out there, it's still causing problems, and it's not going away by what we know about it already. One factor that seems to increase the risk is late hail damage to your soybeans. If you've had an unfortunate visit from the big white combine, scouting for soybean gallmage is important. No grower wants to see the white combine show up before harvest. Uh, when it shows up, I think they're focused on what's left in that crop and some un, you know, relatively new information, but hidden kind of source to that field might be additional gallmage in the field. So gallmage is limited to the base of the plants within about an inch to two inches off the soil surface where there are these fissures in the plant. But if we get hail, that opens up other places on the plant where that insect can get into. We can see five times the number of larvae per plant uh, with hail damaged plants. And so we want growers to be aware, uh, consultants and others of the risk that may pose for not that field, that field's got its own fate, but adjacent fields planted the following year might be a greater risk. It feeds at the base of the plant, uh, so a, a good comparison to this is Decti stem borer. As two insects both feed right at the base of the plant at some point during their, their development cycle. Dectes feeds on the pith, it's the inner core, kind of corky area of the plant. It's not a lot of nutrients or water move through that area, so that's why Dectes doesn't really cause much for yield losses. Soybean gallmage feeds on the really you know, uh, precious part of what we need to keep for yield, which is the xylem, the water movement part of the plant, and the phloem, the nutrient part of the plant. 
And so it cuts off those two key components, movement of water and movement of nutrients. And as you can see behind me, once they do that for long enough, they basically kill the plants on the field. Populations need to be high enough, uh, but uh, clearly behind us, we we're reaching that, that type of number. Some tactics used to eliminate soybean gallmage may sit outside the comfort zone for some producers. Attending future field days might be something to consider if you think you have an infestation. Later planting dates, that's something growers don't want to hear. Drop nozzles, something they don't want to use. Hailing a practice of tillage that's mostly left our system, a lot of no-till farmers. Um, those are probably the three big ones. Biocontrol is a low percentage of things that we're finding that have actually been infested or, or do have you know, biological agents in them. Uh, so a lot of the tactics are just not terribly favorable for how we normally grow soybeans. Uh, a grower with narrow road soybeans, planting in 15s or 20 inch rows, really relying on uh, host plant resistance coming along and providing something uh, that we can put in the ground. Now, host plant resistance is our, our kind of uh, key target area and hopeful area that we want to get to. I guess the other part the growers are hoping for is that we discover a pheromone for soybean gallmage. That's done, work done through Ian Kesey here at University of Nebraska. Um, and that would improve the tracking of this insect when it first emerges in the spring. With soybean gallmage ramping up in the area, it's important to keep an eye out for any symptoms that may indicate an infestation. Make sure to look for future field days to learn new tactics to combat the pest. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Mike Straub. Alrighty, thank you very much for that story, Mike. I have heard from several area producers who said they're finding gallmage this year. So if that's you, you can find some helpful tips for dealing with it online at soybeangallmage.org. Well, let's pivot our attention now and check in when it comes to the markets. Joining us this week on the desk is Jeff Peterson. He's the president of Heartland Farm Partners. Jeff, good to see you. You bet. Great to see you, Bryce. Had a chance to see you out in the field last week, soybean management field days. What did you, in the interactions you had with producers, what was the feel you got from them? How's the crop across the state of Nebraska? You know, it's great. I appreciate everybody's attendance to those. It was a great turnout, and we really like sharing our thoughts about the markets. And overall, I thought it was it was interesting. Actually, the crops overall for me in the areas that we covered, I thought they probably looked a little better than what I was expecting as I was out there. But I didn't get really far into the fields, Bryce. Yeah. When it comes to the U.S. Uh, trends, we track the USDA data, the crop progress report this week, taking a look at those numbers. 59% uh, corn in the good to excellent category, 59% for soybeans as well. Your take on those numbers, that uh, back up what you're hearing with producers and the things you're studying? It really is. It's, it's variable this year as we'd expect. And I, I think it's even more so than last year. And I think the reason for that is that what we have is that we're very low in subsoil moisture. And as a result of that, if all of a sudden you didn't happen to catch a rain, then all of a sudden your crops are showing stress when maybe your neighbors down the road didn't. I think overall we've picked up enough moisture that I, I think the conditions are improving. We don't know necessarily what that means as it translates over to the yield yet, but just to kind of put it in comparison to last year, we're a couple percent better than where we would have been on the corn side last year at this time. And that's a big change. I honestly, if we'd have been sitting here talking probably about four weeks ago, I'd have said, boy, we're coming in, we're tracking with 12, and you know we're gonna come in way below where we were last year, but we're above where we were last year. And the other thing to think about, we got a little bit different pattern coming in here, Bryce. We actually are in the process of improving on our conditions now, and last year at this time, we were in a decline. And what's interesting about the improvement is that normally this time of year, it is hard to keep from declining because we kind of switch from that vegetative state over to that reproductive stage on both the corn and the soybean side. And as a result of that, it's hard to maintain those conditions. So that's the weather side of this market. Obviously, the market's paying close attention to that and the traders. 
The traders also keep bringing up demand. I wanted to ask you this question. What comes to demand for corn and soybeans this time of year? Seems like we're always we're looking. The traders are. That is, is there a seasonality trend that you can say, hey, it, perhaps it's September first. That's when we start to see demand pick up, or is there something we can point to? Yeah, that's that's the interesting one. So let's break that apart uh, really in a couple pieces here. So let's look at the old crop demand. You know, we're we're hearing a lot about where we're going to come in on our final numbers. And we're probably getting to a point, I, I think ethanol's chugging along good enough. We had a NOPA, NOPA crush number this week that actually said that we're probably right in alignment with what we ended up having on, on the crush side on the beans. But I think a lot of the tension's getting put on the new crop. And in particular in the new crop, what a lot of people are looking at is they're saying, wait a minute, we have a lot less exports going than we did last year at this time. But what we have to realize is it really comes back to basis. Because if the foreign buyers, if they really have an opinion about the futures price, they can take futures positions to go ahead and protect themselves if they think it's gonna go higher or something. But it comes back to the basis. And I think all the traders are still kind of looking and thinking, you know what, um, maybe we'll get a little bit lower basis as we go into harvest. I don't know that I agree with them, but I think that's kind of what they're looking at right now and saying, let's see where this crop, if we happen to get a little bigger crop, basis will be a little cheaper, then they'll start loading up. And we are starting to see some improvement. We're seeing some additional bean demand coming in. We're also starting to see a little bit on the corn side. So I think we will see that demand pick up, Bryce. For producers watching today, you think there might be some selling opportunities between now and harvest for corn and soybeans? Yeah, I think what we're setting at right now, we've had a pullback in the market and the market kind of found some support. We've bounced back a little bit higher. And, and I think we can, we've got some warmer, drier conditions coming at us right now. And regardless of kind of what your thought is on that, I mean, that isn't gonna be helpful to the crop. But what we have to remind ourselves of is it really is the heart of it's gonna be in the central plains, you know, is it gonna come across up across Kansas, um, into Nebraska, on up into parts of, you know, South Dakota and into the very southwest corner of Minnesota. But the rest of the Corn Belt's actually gonna be looking pretty good. So I think we can get a little bounce. What we have to do though, is when we do get that bounce, we have to be ready to make some additional sales. All right, this week, a lot of eyes gonna be on the Pro Farmer Tour. They're gonna be out in the field scouting. You expect to see any surprises from that? I'm just really looking forward to it because, you know, when we used to have the WASD report from the, the August one, we actually had NASA out in the field doing those samples. Pro Farmer will be the, the first opportunity where we see large scale. They'll have a large amount of samples. They're, they're traveling those same routes. You know, we can debate about how good their final number is, but I think the thing that we can take away is that the information they give us in regard to basically population counts, what the size of the ears are, how that compares to other years, that's gonna share a lot of light on us so we have a good feel of kind of what are some of those numbers as, as we prepare for the September report, which will be when NASA will actually get out in the fields and actually get some hard numbers. We'll keep an eye on that for sure. I wanna give you a minute or so here left, Jeff. Uh, you noted you wanna talk about carry and basis, your thoughts. Yeah, so as we think about the marketing plan, this time of year, what you wanna do is you really wanna make sure you know how much uh, is my production gonna be? How much bend space do I have? And the reason we're doing that and, and also taking a look at the whole cash flow side, so we know when we need to move our bushels. Now, if I've made some sales either through hedges or I've done it through hedge to rise, one of the questions I have to really answer is that, do I wanna physically roll those contracts ahead? Will I wanna take them from December on out to March or what I wanna do? And our thought on the carry is we think the carry will get a little bigger. We think those differences will be a little bit bigger. We know that it'll be bigger than where we've been in the past because interest rates are higher and interest calculations come into play. And they have to, to be able to go ahead and cover that. 
Then over on the basis side, we think we'll see some better basis levels for harvest and for post-harvest as we go forward. We sure appreciate Jeff joining us here on the program. Coming up next week, we'll have a cattle-focused market conversation. In preparation for that, go ahead and email in your cattle market questions, and I'll be sure to pass those questions along. Well, manure is of great value to crop producers because it helps to build soil fertility as well as organic matter. But to get the most out of manure application, it needs to be applied and handled correctly. Plus, experts suggest testing the manure so you know the nutrient value and how that fits in your overall, overall soil fertility plants. You can learn more about the value of manure in the August issue of The Nebraska Farmer. What well, is now time to check in on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market General Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, it's been relatively mild for August thus far, but that began to change this week as triple digits returned into the forecast. How long should we expect them to stick around? Well, thanks, Bryce. Mother Nature is going to have the furnace turned on high for most of the next week. Let's start first with the U.S. Drought Monitor, which was released on Thursday morning. Good news report here, we now have almost 30% of the state free of drought and a normal dryness. That is the highest percentage of being free of both those categories since the map on July 27th of 2021. So that certainly is good news. Where we did see some improvements last week, Missouri had the most precipitation. So Keapaha, Boyd, getting into Knox, Cedar, and Dixon counties. We also had some pretty good precipitation amounts in parts of southeastern Nebraska last weekend as well. Taking a look at veg dry for vegetation conditions, again, things tend to be, tend to be pretty good shape here across the panhandle in southwestern Nebraska. We have also seen some pretty nice improvement here across portions of northeastern Nebraska in the last month. I think that's a good sign that means we could be looking at some pretty good yields on those crops. And again, our worst conditions just tend to be kind of where they've been all summer uh, between Grand Island and York and certainly down toward Clay Center and toward the Kansas border. I don't see that changing in the next couple of weeks either with the forecast coming up. In terms of precipitation, who got rain? Again, uh, northeastern, north central Nebraska did pretty well with precipitation last Saturday night into Sunday. Uh, we generally missed out on precipitation across central and southwestern Nebraska, and some parts of central and south central Nebraska have not had much precipitation in the last two or three weeks, and that could be a bit of a problem as we head into a prolonged stretch of heat and limited precipitation. In terms of soil moisture now, I've been showing you different soil moisture maps. I'm showing you this one because now the Sportless product is back up available again from NASA. This might be a little bit pessimistic on soil moisture, but I think it was as a reflection of us, A, where we have our driest conditions across the state, which would be toward the south-central southern part of the state toward the Kansas border. I think it's also as a reflection that we really have not fully recharged soil, soil profiles across the large portion of the state. So we are probably a little bit limited on what, how much moisture we actually have in a lot of places going into this heat wave. Speaking of the heat, we have a very massive ridge that is developing or moving into our area as we head into this weekend and early next week. Unfortunately, it looks like it's going to stick around for a while. I think we're probably going to have our worst heat as we get into this weekend and early next week. So again, we are probably looking at temperatures over 100 degrees for pretty much everywhere in the state and into early next week. We'll probably still see 100 degree temperatures in the eastern half of the state. I think there's a chance we could get up to 108 in parts of south central Nebraska. And we may still be very humid in the very eastern side of the state, and we may have heat, in these heat index values 110 to 115. Again, I think we're looking at being in the 90s most of the next week. There is a bit of a wild card, though, and this is that we actually could have a, some subtropical moisture coming up from Texas that might actually move into the state on late next week and give us some clouds and moisture, cool things off a little bit. Again, that's not a guarantee, but maybe we can hope, something to hope for. In terms of the 8 to 14 day outlook, again, this looks like we're going to stay fairly warm through the end of August and definitely 
drier on the eastern half of the side of the state. There is a chance we could start picking up some moisture in the western part of the state as we get toward the end of the month, though, which is good news. Back to you, Bryce. Alrighty, thank you very much for that update, Eric. Well, we know that nitrogen is vital for crop growth. However, getting the right amount at the right time can be quite tricky. Addressing that issue led our next guest to pursue a master's degree in agricultural engineering at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Now, Jackson Stansell is the founder of a company you might have heard of. It's called Sentinel Fertigation. He joined us at this year's SCAL Field Day to share how his company is helping farmers deal with nitrogen application challenges out in their fields. The founder and chief executive officer of the company, you're still considered a startup, which means you give pitches all the time to people uh, asking for money and explaining who the company is. So I'll have you give the, the 30 to 45 second overview of who you guys are and what you do. Sure, yeah, the elevator pitch for Sentinel Fertigation is that we are an ag tech company based in, in Lincoln, Nebraska that leverages satellite imagery and geospatial data to empower precision nitrogen management. And we do that particularly for farmers who fertigate. The way that we do that is through Endtime, uh, which is our software-driven nutrient recommendation engine uh, that basically takes in satellite imagery and ultimately delivers nitrogen application scheduling recommendations to farmers during the growing season. So it seemed like the last time you and I talked, this was an idea. You were developing the Endtime yeah. software. You've rolled this out in 2022. Obviously, we hear in 2023 is growing season. Well, take me back to 2022, some of the trial data there. Sure, and, and you know we were coming out of basically three years of development at the University of Nebraska where we were putting in time together as a prototype. And what we did in 2022 is transition a desktop prototype into an actual software that can be used uh, you know, at scale on the web. And we operated the software on roughly 8,000 acres last year uh, around the state of Nebraska and even a little bit down into Kansas. Uh, and what we were really excited about is that we were able to replicate the research results that we had seen in on-farm research trials at the University of Nebraska. In those trials, we were looking at about 25% uh, nitrogen use efficiency improvement, uh, as well as 43 pounds of nitrogen per acre savings. And last year, compared to a grower baseline uh, across those 8,000 acres, uh, we were looking at about 42 pounds of nitrogen per acre saved and a 23% improvement in efficiency, which last year with nitrogen prices being what they were, was about $40 an acre in savings. So we were really happy to see our on-farm research trials translate to real results in the field. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal, Jackson. Cool to see those results uh, backing up what you've seen in the on-farm research. I guess, talk to, me, talk to me, how does this work for the producer, the farmer who signs up for this? What's that look like? So for a farmer who signs up for this, I mean, the first step is identifying a field and getting that field boundary in the system. Once we have the field boundary in the system, what we do is we, we are able to task out satellite imagery, which is ultimately what's driving a lot of this. We use what we call indicator blocks or sentinel blocks out in the field that actually are able to calibrate each image to isolate nitrogen stress uh, from other stress factors that are out there in the field. Um, and, and what we're doing is every image that comes in on a basically a daily basis throughout the growing season, we're analyzing it, we're calibrating it, and ultimately delivering insights as to trends in the crop's nitrogen sufficiency. And when we see the, tr the crop is trending towards, you know, it's, it's starting to approach deficiency, we essentially tell that farmer, hey, you need to apply additional nitrogen to your field. And what's great about that is for fertigators who are making uniform pass, it helps them to schedule better, but we can also be precise enough to target that in specific areas of the field to even drive that efficiency up further. So we talked about the 2022 growing season here in 2023. How have you expanded the company and the number of acres you're serving? So into 2023, we've expanded across about 18,000 acres this year. Uh, still the majority of our, our businesses uh, here in Nebraska, which we're really excited about. We feel like it's our bread and butter and we love what we're doing here. We're also operating in Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, Kansas. Uh, we've got a research field down in Texas and we just picked up some fields out in Nevada as, as folks in our 
are starting to try the technology. We're also really excited about what we're seeing in other crops other than corn. Uh, so we're starting to get some rye and oat fields, <laughs> some potato fields, starting to look at cotton a little bit. Uh, so we're, we're pretty excited about how things are expanding and, and what the potential applications of this technology really are. Preview what's ahead in 2024. If viewers today want to sign up to perhaps be part of Sentinel Fertigation, can they do so? Absolutely. We are currently taking field enrollments. Uh, we are looking for dealers. Uh, we call them certified service providers, um, you know, in different parts of Nebraska as well as well as nationally. Uh, so that's something that we're, we're actively pursuing. Um, we're planning to launch in-time light and in-time advanced to kind of tailor the functionality to what producers are looking for on their farm, uh, which is going to be a really exciting opportunity, uh, we think, and, and we just want to continue to, to grow the business and expand over as many acres as we can. Where do you see the business going as a whole? You know, take us five years down the road, your dream, your vision. My, my vision for Sentinel is to produce win-win solutions for farm profitability and, and for, for farmer success and also for environmental stewardship. Uh, and, and I think our long-term vision is really to continue to enable that with software, potentially hardware solutions uh, on down the road, but really give producers the, the leverage that I think they're gonna need uh, in modern ag markets that are focused on sustainability. Um, we hear about the carbon credits and carbon intensity and, and all these sorts of things, water quality. I think there's gonna be an opportunity for farmers to make profit. I don't think it's here today, but what we believe that we're doing is building a data set and a system that farmers can use to reliably produce uh, sustainable grain. Uh, and, and I'm really excited about the opportunities we have to help those farmers maximize their profits within those markets. You had a unique education journey that brought you to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. How important was your location and your education at the university to launch you to where you're at today? I think it was critical. I mean, if you, if you look at the amount of irrigation that we have here in Nebraska and, and fertigation as a practice, obviously we were born out of fertigation, scheduling fertigation events uh, for nitrogen. It's been an ideal environment to test in. We found very cooperative producers and producers that are innovative, wanting to, to operate on the cutting edge. So that's been super helpful. And then the ecosystem in, in Lincoln and Omaha to help uh, startups be successful, build a business uh, has been tremendous. So we, we really think Lincoln is a great place to be. Thanks again for Jackson for joining us out at that field day. Well, that is about all the time we have for this week's program. But before we go, wanted to share with you our photo of the week. It is the rebirth of Nebraska's first FFA chapter. Beatrice Public Schools is rekindling its commitment to agriculture education after decades of dormancy. Check out this photo as community members and supporters recently came together to capture this moment, standing beside the original charter dating back to April 26th of 1929. Now it's not just Beatrice getting involved or back involved in the ag industry. Across the state, FFA continues to grow. The number of chapters has risen to 214, boasting a collective membership exceeding 11,500 students. Pretty neat to see young people interested in the ag industry. That is going to do it for this week's show. Next week, we invite you to join us as we broadcast from the sand hills of the state as we visit a UNL research facility. We hope you'll join us then. Until then, I'm Brian Stuskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.